Dear Father in heaven, it fills us with great joy to be in thy presence this morning hour. This is special, dear Father, and it's not because of us or anything that we've done, dear Father, it is because of the promises that are contained in thy word, the promises uttered by thy Son, Jesus Christ, God the Son, who has promised to be in the midst of his people, those that call upon him, those that trust in him for salvation, those that believe in him and are born again, walk in the Spirit, the same Spirit that was in him, in God the Holy Spirit. Dear Father, we're so thankful for that, and we confess this morning hour we have nothing to bring. We, we are we have no solutions on our own for our problems, for the challenges that face us. Dear Father, and we even thank thee for this because that's the reality and many times we don't realize it, we don't acknowledge it. But now we thank thee that we've realized that and we've realized coupled with that, that thou art the source. Thou art that source of, of living water, that never ending stream that has promised to be with all those that call upon thee, all those that humble themselves. It's very simple, dear Father, and that too also causes us to rejoice that thou hast hidden these things from the wise and the prudent of this world as revealed them unto babes, unto ignorant people even like us who are not wise and not mighty according to this world's standard, but dear Father, in thy sight we are indeed precious. As we open this word this morning, we ask, dear Father, please be here, please speak, please minister, please meet the needs of thy people. We pray this in the name of Jesus. I've opened to the first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 10. First Corinthians, chapter 10. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. 
there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, being many, are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold Israel after the flesh. Are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What say I then? That the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat, asking no question for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast and be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you, eat, asking no question for conscience sake. But if any man say unto you, this is offered and sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that for which I give thanks? Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. I've read to the end of the chapter. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's kneel to pray. Our Heavenly Father and Lord God, It is indeed an awesome thing for us to consider that today, at this very moment, we kneel before the same God who spoke to Moses from that burning bush, who led the children of Israel through the Red Sea, who provided and guided them for 40 years in the wilderness, and who then overthrew all the nations that inhabited Canaan to make a place for thy people. In this increasingly secular world, 
we realize that though the world shifts and changes all the time, there is one who changes not. There is one who is indeed the master reference point for everything, the I am that I am. Heavenly Father, what a blessing it is to be able to come into thy presence now to acknowledge this because we're often confused, we're sometimes misled, we have fears and doubts around us, there is uncertainty in this world, but to know, to know that there is one who has everything in his control, who holds all things in the palm of his hand, what a blessing it is, what a, what a rock it is for us if we would believe these things. Heavenly Father, we pray for a rich measure of thy spirit to be granted unto our brother this morning as he would teach and preach from thy word, that the things that we would hear would give us the strength we need for the week to come, if thou wouldst tarry. We ask a blessing on those that are gathered in Windsor now, perhaps at this very moment, to witness the baptism of souls that have been added unto thee. And we pray that, Heavenly Father, that their, their faith would be founded in the same one who is from eternity past and will continue forevermore. That as they would put down spiritual roots, that nothing would be able to shake them, no matter how the winds of this world may blow. Heavenly Father, be with those that have received perhaps uh, disheartening news, medical diagnoses, and tragic, tragic news, perhaps much like uh, what we've heard from Texas this past week. Heavenly Father, do thy work to turn hearts of men and women unto thee, Show them that thy heart is pained by tragedy and loss and that the answer is to return unto thee. Be with those that could not gather with us today for whatever reason they could not come. Watch over them, dear Lord. Provide for them also from thy word and speak to them in thine own special way. Be with us now as we would hear from thy word, dear Lord. Guide us and lead us in the same, and we promise to give thee all praise and glory, for thou alone art worthy. Amen. My thoughts go right now to our children downstairs. And as they're, I don't know, at this moment or whatever, they're going through that model of the tabernacle. And an outside observer would ask, why, why are you doing this? Why are you going through some exercise to, to build something that um, was for people uh, thousands of years ago, for a people that like, we really have no connection with, a people that wandered in the desert, uh, a nomadic people that lived thousands of years before that their life looks, com looked completely different from you and I today, from those little boys and girls that are scrubbed and shining with their Sunday, Sunday school clothes on. Why are they going through an exercise like that? It's for the same reason that Apostle Paul references 
the children of Israel in this passage we just read. You know, someone once said that in religion or in the field of of the relationship of of God and man, what the the word he was using was religion and, and not a false religion, he said, in true religion, there is nothing ever truly new. If it is truly new or original, it probably should be thrown out. And that is, the reason he could say that is because God is the same. God does not change. God is perfect from, from time immemorial, from before there was time. He brought the world into being. He does not change. I am the Lord, I change not. And all religion is all about him. It's not about us. It's not about um, we've developed something new or we've discovered something new. It's only as he reveals more of himself. So the reason that the children downstairs are, have built little models and little dioramas and are going through and explaining things is because that is a picture. That was what God used in the Old Testament to show his character and some of himself. And that is still the same and is still as valid today. God is still the same as he was back then as he is now. What then is the difference between then and now? The big difference is the revelation, the full revelation of God through Christ Jesus. And Apostle Paul in this passage, I don't know if you caught it, he wanted to underline that, that God is the same. He has not changed. Christ was there too. That rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Verse 4, he says, those children of Israel, they went through all these things. They, they passed, they were under the cloud. They passed through the Red Sea. Uh, they were all uh, uh, together in this common experience. Christ was there too because God is the same and he doesn't change. But now, here in this day and age, we realize something completely life-changing, something completely different. That, that, that is the difference between us and between and, and th- those people that experienced that wandering in the desert for 40 years, that, that experienced that um, hardship, self-induced hardship. They didn't have to be there for 40 years. It didn't have to happen that way. It was because of their unbelief and their sin. That big difference is Christ. And that is who we have to proclaim this morning hour. That's who we have to focus and keep our eyes on. And that's who this Apostle Paul drives and points towards as the difference here in this example. The whole reason for this example of the children of Israel is for us today, given what we know and how we have partaken and the spirit that has been given to us, the difference now that should be. Last night I was reading through the book of of, uh, Galatians. For whatever reason, my thoughts have been thinking about it recently. And as I thought about that book, I have to think, well, what does this really have to do with us? You know, in the sense of the main burden, the main problem that that Apostle Paul is writing about is the law, is is those that are, um, are Christians, new Christians, 
having this temptation to turn back to the law, say, well, we're Gentiles, but yes, we've got to be circumcised, we've got to keep the law, and, and so on. And, and kind of going down a road, maybe they're not fully severed, fully departed from Christ yet, but going down a road that Apostle Paul, he clearly sees the end of, he says, this is a departure from Christ. You, Christ has become of no uh, uh, avail to you, no, no purpose to you that you've returned to the law. And as I read that book, I had to think, well, what's, today we're not, I don't think we're tempted that way. We want to return to, to uh, keeping the, the Jewish law. But there is always a temptation and always a, a choice, always a line in the life of the Christian, of the believer. And this line, this is what Apostle Paul, his burden here is in chapter 10, to walk in the Spirit or to not walk in the Spirit. To fulfill the lust of the flesh or not to fulfill the lust of the flesh. And that's the example that he holds up. He says the whole reason that the children of Israel uh, experienced what they experienced, fell, was because they were in the flesh. They were not in the spirit. They were under that law and that law exposed their sin but they didn't have the power. They didn't have that faith in the one who was to come that made the difference. And my brother and my sister, my friend outside of Christ, that's the same word, that's the same example you can take this morning hour. A choice of whether to live in the flesh, to do the things that you want to do, that, that seem natural to you, that just the, this makes sense to me, this feels good, or to do the things of the Spirit. It's a very subtle line. It's not, a, um, <laughs> it's, it's not always black and white. You can say, oh, that's... Yes, fornication is bad, let's avoid that. Or uh, idolatry, we don't want to bow down to any idols. The example he actually gives here, and, and I think it, the rest of the chapter, he kind of goes back to a topic he'd been talking about before in chapter 8 about meat offered to idols. The simple instructions he gives, I venture to say that if those Corinthians, those, that, that church was truly uh, walking fully in the Spirit, they probably wouldn't have even needed those simple instructions, those little rules that he gives. If they were truly walking in the Spirit, they would know God would, would lead them. They'd understand the way of how to, to, to not be an offense to my brother. But the subtlety of this line between the Spirit and the flesh had come in terms of them thinking, I'm free to eat meat offered to idols. There's nothing wrong with it. I know according to the law of God, I'm going to go ahead and do it. And my brother that's got a problem with me, he's a, he's a weak person. He's just got to grow up and he's not as spiritual as I am. And in so doing, they crossed that line and were no longer walking in the Spirit, no longer uh, following the way of Christ and, and being conformed to his image. So it's a subtle line. It's not always so clear as to, okay, I'm not going to go into any bars. I'm not going to associate with this uh, evil person or whatever. No, no. The life in the Spirit is not a series of rules. So even in this the rules that he has to lay down here, okay, well, if, if you, you can buy whatever's uh, offered in the marketplace and no question about that, but if you go to a feast, then uh, um, you can also eat, but if someone says this was meat offered to idols, refrain, and he gives them a, a good example. So even those simple rules, life in the spirit cannot be reduced to those rules, cannot be reduced. That was the whole dilemma with the law. Here was a law that was good and righteous that said this is God's standard, this is his holiness, laid down at Mount Sinai, word for word, written out, clear, established. Wouldn't we all love that? 
here's clearly what God requires, let's do it. And that's, that was the response of the people. We will do it. We will do it. But the life in the Spirit is not like that. The life in the Spirit is not a set of, of rules and, and regulations. We just simply have to follow this and follow that. My friend outside of Christ, maybe that's part of the struggle with you, is that you think it's conversion is, is a series of steps and a series of, of, of things you have to get through, a series of, of check marks. No. This life in the Spirit is unity with Christ. And that's the example he gives here, verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion, the common union of the body of Christ? You are joined to Christ in this life in the Spirit, walking, believing in him. It's a relationship. It's the start of a relationship by faith that will enable you to fulfill, to, to walk righteously. The beautiful line in, in Galatians that stuck out to me last night. I hope I can find it. Galatians chapter 5, verse 5. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. You know, the righteousness that comes by the law is a matter of, I did the commandment. I fulfilled it. I did this commandment. I fulfilled it. I've got it here and now. I'm going to live by it. I've got to live in it. But the righteousness which is by faith, the righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus, through the Spirit, is a looking to him for righteousness. Is that every time I fall and every time I, I realize I've come short of God's expectations, a turning to him, a giving of myself, a letting go. And that, that's walking in hope just as much as it is in anything else, in a hope of God's promises being fulfilled of his full work of righteousness in me. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. The promise that one day this body, all its temptations, all its foibles, the things that are common to each one of us and all of us that we share in common, they will pass away and we will be immersed completely in, in Christ and his, his new life, the life that we taste now. So, what is the example that we've been given, the instruction that we've been given? I think, first of all, this, this example at the beginning of chapter 10 here about the children of Israel is to, to, to give us a warning to not be complacent. I think that's the first place that he starts. He says, look, Israel all started out good. They were all baptized unto Moses. They did all eat the same spiritual. They did all, we're all Christians here in that sense. But there should be and there ought be no room for complacency in the life of the Spirit. There there, there ought to be a continual hungering and thirsting, um, an examination of ourselves. He says, take heed. He that he thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. So there is no room for complacency in this example. He says, all of Israel started out a certain way. They all started out following. They all went through the Red Sea, those, that, that huge, amazing experience of those walls of water that they walked through on dry land between. They all had an experience. And, and my brother and my sister, we have all had an experience as we've been immersed and baptized into Christ. 
But there's no room for complacency because we are still in this body. We still experience all the things that we do experience. From the blatant and obvious, the flashing red neon signs, to the subtle and self-elevating. The things that I do that, the reason I do them is because it makes me look good. That's sin. That's life in the flesh. And that will only lead one way. A life in the flesh will only lead one way. Neither be idolaters, as were some of them. I don't think the temptation was at that moment when they stood in front of that smoking mountain, hearing the voice of God and saying, Moses, you go up, we can't, we can't endure this. We... I don't think the moment, the temptation was there for idolatry, but it was all those things that they kept in their back pockets, the stuff that they brought with them from Egypt, the stuff that they picked up from the people around them, that the things that are common to man, those are the things that then started to creep up, insidiously work and idolatry, that looking, the definition of idolatry is looking to anything other than God for my supply to worship, to honor as the one who meets my needs, looking to anything other than God, the one that brought me out from the land of Egypt, that's idolatry. And my brother, my sister, my friend, I have to look in my own life. It is those moments, not the moments when I'm standing in front of the mountain when I see the presence of God, but the moments when I'm really thirsty. It's a dry desert. Where is this water going to come from? How is God going to supply the temptation to turn to idolatry? God doesn't seem to be coming through right now. I'm going to rely on something else. And it's often not the the conscious thought process that you think, well, I better turn to an idol. (laughs) No, it's it's on the level of emotions, on the level of, of, I'm feeling really down right now. I just need something to pick me up. That's idolatry. That's looking to something other than God to supply my need. When I should be in that moment, through the life and the Spirit, being turning to my Heavenly Father and crying out, Abba, Father, help me. I'm thirsty. I'm weak. I'm weary. These things were written for our examples. The temptation to complain. That's a funny one sometimes. You know, we rationally think, well, what good does it do to complain and murmur? Just kind of, not, not, we're not talking about, I have a problem, I'd like to talk to you about it. Let's, you know, I, I see a concern here. We've got to figure something out. Uh, not a respectful, Moses, um, we're running out of water. What's, what's the plan here? What's going to, but a grumbling, a murmuring. A, uh, he hasn't, you know, look at him. behind the scenes, this low-level thing that builds, builds, and the noise, the volume, it gets louder and louder and louder. That's the murmuring that that neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Another level, another type, another example of walking in the flesh when we're just not satisfied, we're not content. The life in the Spirit is contentment. It's joy and peace that hymn we sang this morning that I opened to, that new life in me. I have to be reminded of that so much. It's so easy to turn back 
to that complaining, grumbling sort of things didn't turn out the way I expected or I'm worried about what's going to happen and not realize I have everything I need in this moment. The rock that follows me and that I am following is Jesus Christ. So all these things are, are given as examples, clear examples for us. These children of Israel that were under the law, that were in the flesh, though there were some notable examples of those that lived by faith, as they're, they're, they're highlighted in the, in the Old Testament, Joshua, Caleb, others. The things that happened to them were an example because it is the same God. We are the same people, but with one notable difference, and that is Christ Jesus, the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This common union that we have in the blood of Christ and in the body of Christ. We are all partakers. And so the, the, as I said at the beginning, that, that as he, after he goes through this example, then he turns back to that previous topic in chapter 8, this, this contention between meat offered to idols in the church of Corinth. The idea was that, that uh, the problem was that some people... Um, had no problem whatsoever with eating meat that had been offered in a pagan temple. Um, they knew that this, a cow is a cow is a cow. God made it. It doesn't matter what men do to it. It's, and that's true. Paul says basically, yes, I know and am persuaded of the Lord in, in Romans 14 that all things are clean. Paul clearly had the knowledge and he, he knew there's nothing wrong in and of itself with eating an animal that had been offered in a in a, in a pagan temple and then was sold in the marketplace uh, for probably a discounted price. But he says, no, no, there's a bigger picture here and a bigger picture which the life in the spirit will clue you into. The life in the flesh will lead you one direction. You'll be thinking about, you know what? I have knowledge. That's good enough. I know. The life in the spirit will be looking to others let no man seek his own, but every man another man's wealth, another's wealth. The life in the spirit stops caring about myself and looks to others, looks to, to, to help others, to sustain them, to encourage them. I fall short so many times in so many ways in that and think that I'm not living the life in the spirit in that regard was I, as I don't think of others, their needs, their wealth, their, what is beneficial for them, and I think just only of my own situation. And my friend outside of Christ, I venture to say that's probably your problem too, is that it's all about you. And even this problem of conversion and, and when and how is this going to work, it's just focused on you, on yourself and your own problems and not a looking through faith to Christ. Ultimately, if we are focused, so there's the other pitfalls that you look to others for your affirmation and you start to, to, to follow them rather than follow the Lord. And the answer he gives here is, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. First and foremost, the actions, the things that I do, how I do them, the way I do them, the, the thoughts, the intents of my heart as I do them, 
If they're God-directed, they will work out to honor him, first of all, and then work for the good of others. To please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. In the middle of this here, I skipped over it, and this is a, a verse of great encouragement. And this is also an indication of the life in the Spirit. Verse 13. I venture to say I probably knew this verse before I knew the rest of the chapter. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. This, this is the promise of life in the Spirit, the Comforter, the one who sustains in all things, the one who, who holds us up in all things, as you realize it's not a matter of my flesh, my own strength, that I gotta, just got to keep my spirits up and, and, and feel good and, and I'll get over this and think positive. No, the, the, the real life in the Spirit is a ministration by God's Spirit, is an outpouring of God's Spirit into our spirits so that we know that we are loved, that there is a way of escape, that even as we go through the temptations and the trials that God may not remove, he may not uh, uh, remove them from us, even in that he has made a way of escape, as an escape into his bosom, into his heart, through the Spirit, through the life in the Spirit. And this, this is, ought to be our joy. This ought to be the thing that, 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 that causes us great joy, that God knows, he cares, he has made a way. Through all of the common experience of man, all the things that we experience, whether it's uh, through youth, through middle age, through old age, through health, through sickness, through poor uh, conditions, through wealth and abundance, God's Spirit has, knows all of these things, the common experience, and has made a way of ex escape. We will not experience it if we look to idolatry. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry, verse 14. We will not experience it if we look to anything else to supply. If we hang on to anything else as that means of getting me through this, whatever it is, I'm just going to um, lean on my own understanding or even lean on someone else. That, even, even that can be a form of idolatry. As I look to someone else other than God, the life in the Spirit looks first and foremost to God to sustain. And all of this, all of this starts and begins and goes through a door marked faith. The same door that was offered to those children of Israel to in enter into the promised land some 3,500 years ago. I'm not sure exactly my biblical timeline. Same experience, same choice. Am I going to believe what God has said and enter the promised land? Or am I not going to believe, unbelief, and not enter? That's the commentary in Hebrews 3. Some did not enter in because of unbelief. That's the beauty of it, the simplicity of it. It's your and my choice this morning hour, simply whether we're going to believe these things are true, enter through that doorway into 
life in the Spirit or not believe they're true, that there's some other way or God's holding out or this isn't the whole picture and die in unbelief. It's a simple word this morning hour. It's not according to my abilities or my, my wisdom, but I trust that the Lord supplies the needs of his people and calls this morning hour to all of those that would be his, all of those that will answer that call to join, to be baptized unto Christ Jesus. That's the beauty of the gospel we have now. It's no longer just the law and Moses. We have the full revelation. You can be baptized into it. You can experience that. You can experience that full life in the spirit. May the Lord supply what you're lacking this morning, that need that you um, feel that if you're honest with yourself, if you stop the chatter and stop the noise, the deep need of your soul, the Lord can supply that this morning and you can drink of that rock, Jesus Christ. We've heard a number of things about something that happened a very long time ago. The radio, on the radio uh, in my car, sometimes there's a commercial that comes on around the time of Passover. And it's from a Jewish organization, and they talk about this night that was the beginning of months for them. God did all these things in the Old Testament as a pattern, something to teach, as we heard already this morning. I mentioned on Wednesday night, as part of our Bible study, that the purpose of the law was to teach the difference between clean and unclean. And anyone who tried to keep it for any length of time would quickly realize that his or her heart was far from being clean and would need cleansing. And that cleansing had to come from something outside of themselves. As we can't, if we have dirt on our hands, there's no way to clean it. We need something else to clean us. We need water, we need soap. So God took his people into the wilderness to teach them something, that he was to be their supply, their supply for everything, from their food and drink to ultimately the cleansing of their own souls. But that's not really where I want to finish. Have any of you had heard the term, the point of no return? I think the phrase actually came about in the Second World War. You see, when a plane flies from one spot to another, there comes a point halfway between the two points where you have to make a decision. Do you keep going on through to your destination or do you turn around and go back? Because if you go too far and then try to turn back, you'll never make it back. You've passed the point of no return. The idea actually is much, much older, of course, than the Second World War. Travelers in this part of the world would have understood it as well. When you left the last watering hole, your next destination had to be the oasis, the oasis in the desert. 
there was a point. When you passed it, you had to commit fully to going all the way through to that oasis because you'd never make it back to where you came from. I want you to remember now the children of Israel. One of their common refrains when they complained was, let's turn back to Egypt. And they remembered, of course, the good things there. They remembered the melons and the cucumbers and the leeks and the garlics. Of course, that sort of thing doesn't grow in the desert. They forgot about the water that came from the rock and the bread that came down from heaven every morning. How many of my friends this morning outside of that fold of Jesus Christ approach that point of no return and then chicken out and turn back? Go back. What else was God trying to teach the children of Israel? If they stayed in Egypt, they had no future. Slavery. Slavery and destruction. The male children were all to be killed. No future. God offered them something different. He offered them freedom. Freedom and identity as his people and ultimately a promised land. A place flowing with milk and honey where they would receive vineyards and olive yards that they had never planted. Homes they hadn't even built. Everything done for them. How many of you vacillate between that? How many of you are approaching, perhaps even this morning, right now, approaching that point of no return? Are you going to commit to the God who loves you, who wants your freedom, who's promised you a promised land? Or are you going to turn back to the familiar, to the land of Egypt, where you know you are a slave? The decision is yours. Will you go through? Will you trust God to provide? Or will you turn back and experience slavery again? May the Lord add whatever was lacking to what was said this morning. May he dismiss us now with his blessing. This concludes our service.